And tonight we are going to be uh, reviewing Sectars, Warriors of Symbian. And uh, we're going to be looking at episode four called Trapped in the Acid Desert. And I was that young Sectar. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Amazingly Terrible. We telebonded our podcast to your childhood so we can feel your pain. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. I'm David. And I'm Derek. So who, um... Would like to tell a tale. <laughs> every time you say that. Every time you say, so who, automatically. Did you make sourdough this future world? <laughs> I, yeah, I sourdoughed this future world. Oh, I made sourdough bread this future world. Not going to lie. Wow. Was it good? Actually, it turned out really well. I, I am not much yeah. of a baker. I, I'm not much of a cook in general. I am. I like to cook using like a range or like a smoker or grill or whatever, but baking was not my jam, and I got into bread making. Um, the, the cautionary tale is I learned how to make baguettes, mm. and I made like eight of them on a Sunday, and Tara and I ate six of them. <laughs> yeah. And our stomachs were fucked up <laughs> for two days. <laughs> but fresh baguettes are so oh, good. Yeah. Oh, dude. Like, you let them cool down for 30 to 45 minutes to set that crumb. Yeah. And then it's just, it's fucking magic. And then we were both, like, laying on the couch that night. And she's like, I don't feel well. And I'm like, I'm, like, trying to sip a beer. And I'm like, my stomach is just <laughs> <laughs> All the yeast and everything it just so, so fucked the, it up. The baguette, the baguette actually turned out baguette like, like did yeah, nice. Yep. Did yeah. You know, like the whole yeah, like it's... water in the oven to like spray it down. Yeah. So through. I took. So Terry used to be a hairdresser way back in the day, um, and so we have a bunch of like spritz bottles, <laughs> like to do hair. So nice. I, I I sent a couple of them through the dishwasher to sanitize them. And then yeah, so every every couple minutes or whatever, like as it's baking, you open up the the oven and then you spritz down the top of it with water, and that's what creates that like that really hard crust yeah. on the exterior of the baguette. Nice. The only thing that I did not have is I didn't have a bread lathe. It's like um like a straight razor for lack of a better term, like you know for shaving. Um, it has a razor blade in it, and it just cuts real thin. So I used a really sharp knife, and it worked fine it didn't to get that as... curl on the top like to get it open up yeah, yeah. to get that like um yeah. kind of oval with the points at the end shape yeah. like the, the yeah, vaguely like elongated vagina shape that's on top of a i was i was gonna go with the vagina yeah with the curls i actually i recommend the vagina yeah i mean nothing wrong with vagina jesus everybody loves vagina Okay. Keep this in the podcast. Uh, um, where? This is like... Yeah, where? Like is, uh, the cold open, yeah. easily. I think this is like additional evidence that both the French and the Germans like know how to live. Because uh, when I when I was a kid living in Germany, we would get brochen all the time, which are basically oh, yeah. like mm -hmm. tiny little baguettes. Kaiser brochen. Oh, you, you'd no. get them fresh. And every little town had a, a little bakery that would make them fresh yep. and delicious. Same with yep. France. Like, you'd just walk around, and the, on the corner, there'd be a little bakery making amazing bread. And mm -hmm. just live a good-ass life. Not to deviate too much. I'll give it... Okay, sure, yeah. We, just because we're talking about <laughs> bread making in our cartoon no, show. No, no, no. I, I, 
So no, because we were in we were in Europe last last October for Oktoberfest, and we essentially experienced that German food and, and yeah. Well, I was in Amsterdam, Munich, and then Zurich, and I think the big the big delta to the United States, and if you find it, it's not that different. Is that the United States doesn't do small small shops? No, we don't do butchers, we don't do bakeries, we don't do produce markets, we don't do fishmongers, whatever. We do supermarkets, and you lose a shitload of that. Yep, in a supermarket, yep. you really do. Honestly, it's 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 not too bad in Seattle. You know that. Like there, there's still a few no, like small vendors here. That's that you can what go really kind of opened my eyes to to how I cook and everything now was living in downtown Seattle yeah. where I could walk down to any of the markets when Rain Cloud Meats oh, was yeah. still there. Rain Shadow. Like go Rain there. Shadow Meats. Oh, Rain Shadow, yeah. yeah. Uh, dude, did I tell you we got uh, we got 60 oysters from Taylor Shellfish for oh, Thanksgiving? No. Oh, that sounds great. Overnighted to us. Nice, it's nice. fucking amazing. Yeah. Very cool. We ate so many oysters that we all had like fucking fire hose assholes because there's so much brine in them. What is like just yeah. eating the sound? What's, what is, what's what is, is the, why uh, are you eating yourself to death? Like the, the, yeah. the baguettes, the oysters? Uh, I'd like to eat you, well. You mentioned Germany, man. I'm a fan, when, yeah. When we lived in Germany, the, uh, uh, the, we had a baker that was like maybe like four blocks from my house and almost yeah. every day after school I would jump on my bike and ride down there and I'd always get like a bunch of candy and then a full Kaiserbrochen, Kaiserbrochen, yeah. like the actual like cheddar cheese melted on the inside and on top of it, mm. and like that was oh, my little yeah. treat at the end of the day. And I remember, the, I got money for this because I went into uh, my parents' bedroom and I stole <laughs> cash out of my father's desk because he would just have he would just like because because he's at the time he was not a very savvy American and he was treating all the coins like they were change. And you're oh. just sort of throwing change in a pile. But, of course, there was, like, the equivalent of, like, $5 coins and, like, yeah. $2 and $1 coins there. So I, I just would take all of his change, and that would basically be my candy money. What a, a what so. a kind of, like, beautifully bittersweet memory. Yeah. It's weird, right? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> That's good. So, Matt, you are saying something about the one universe theory? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, before we do that, let, let me ask one real quick question, uh, David. Kill no, it, David. Seriously, I don't, I don't want a fucking story about this. Which, which, which German pastry is Kaisenbrochet? Uh, it's it's a uh, bread. It's a uh, brochen. It's basically the bread. It's the like the uh, the equivalent of uh, the German baguette. Typically, it's yeah. round though instead of yeah. an actual like oval shape. It's like and, a baguette uh, okay. bun. In like, in yeah, the Kaisenbrochen is basically just like a it's a cheese bread. So they basically melt like cheddar cheese on top, or a little bit of cheese on the inside of it. So okay, but it was like I, the only reason I was up. asking is because we ate the shit out of German food last year, yeah. and I th- I remember eating something similar to that, but I could not remember precisely if that's what it was called. It's usually like, did you have right, anyways, did you have right. Berliners when you were there? Uh, we had all the fucking stuff, dude. We were at fucking Oktoberfest, man. Yeah, like we were just drunk walking around the like yeah. <laughs> like Eat, stalls, handing the them stuff. cash. And just like at what Tara's a picture of me eating like a sausage covered in freaking sauce, and I'm like, God, you have a mustache at the time. German Frankfurters are so (laughs) fucking amazing. 
Anyways, so back to that I one universe. Uh, so here's my thoughts. Um, <laughs> David, see, David's just like rubbing his face. <laughs> like, will you fucking, like, I have to fucking talk about the thing you're supposed to talk God about? Damn it, I, I get a certain beer. amount of schadenfreude from watching David after years of trying to fucking GM for you dipshits. I'm like, this is what it feels now like. Now you know what it fire. feels like, you bitch. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, David. <laughs> <laughs> Who saw this uh, cartoon when they were kids? Well, I didn't see the cartoon, but I would like to show you. <gasps> oh, oh, nice. Oh, nice. Holy uh, shit. For those of you listening at home, David has pulled up a Sectar's toy. It looks like it is. Is that the Battle Bug? Battle it, no, it's, it's, no, it's Bitar. This is Bitar. Bitar. Yeah, Bitar. Bitar. The, it's the dog, the dog insect. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one that's blue, right? Isn't it blue? No, 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 no. Uh, the eyes are blue. It's yeah. the one that's bonded with Zach. Yeah, it's yeah. the one that got like, all sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's so got it's... a little button on the back that you can press. And uh, when it was new, you press this down, it would snap, and then this would pop back up. But after 30 years, it doesn't do that anymore because it's a piece, <laughs> cheap piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> David, did you, is that a toy from your childhood? Like you had that yeah. as a kid? Oh, that's... I, yeah, and and not only that, I knew where to find it. <laughs> that is nice. fucking that's incredible. Pretty amazing. <laughs> Holy that's... shit! All right, then we need to make this our best episode we've done yet. Well, I feel like we need to make this our best episode ever because it's David's birthday today. Everybody, happy yeah, birthday, happy birthday, David! Birthday, yeah. David. Congrats David's... on finding your sectar toy. Yeah, which is David's very turning uh, twenty-five there. today. Yep. It is, it is. Can finally rent a car. <laughs> yeah, with insurance. <laughs> yeah. Was this your seventeenth annual twenty fifth birthday? <laughs> um, I never saw this show as a kid, but I rem- I, I recognized the characters. I guess like I saw them, like at a friend's house or something. And I think that one of my friends had one of the figures, but I that's real fuzzy. On <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe, maybe it was David. Yeah, I think I actually do have Zach somewhere. The, so they they came as pairs. So if you bought if you got Bitar, you probably have Zach with Bitar. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's by, what by happened. Bitar, Bitar, yeah, Bitar. So it's, how how popular is this show? Like, are these this one to me now? Granted, this is a little bit before my time because it was what eighty five. Um, yeah, are these toys worth money? Like, is this is this one of those things that's so niche that like? people didn't buy them or was this actually like a big deal it's worth um it's worth the plastic it's printed on okay so nothing nice like soft vinyl antennas here yeah the the toys the toys were made from all different kinds of materials Uh, a lot of them had fur on them um and they were the eight inch they were like he-man size yeah articulated baddies yeah i i I feel like this this wasn't that popular because it was only labeled as five episodes but six episodes really yeah it was a limited series and the toy line was not successful uh they they put out the toy line and the toys were more expensive than uh anything else on the market at that time and also they were incredibly scary looking and so people didn't want to buy them i do want to mention like the toys they do not have pupils yeah, in a lot yeah. of the art, the characters did not have pupils. They had these like wraparound sunglasses look, and I think they were supposed to be the you know uh, multifaceted eyes. Right. 
what I think in the cartoon, they went ahead and put like weird slit pupils in there. I think that's one of the things that makes the cartoon actually more disturbing. I think that really pushed them into the uncanny valley. I mean, they were deep yeah. there already. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. They, they've been mining the bottom of the uncanny valley to make this show for, for a while. I feel like it, it definitely is one of those things where it is in the uncanny valley for almost everything that they have in there. Cause even like the, the insect companions are like, like they try to, to cute them up a little bit by giving them like dog like traits every now and again, or giving them yeah. like mammalian style traits, like giving them a mouth of a, like a horse or a dog or something like that. But it's almost worse. But yeah, it, it makes it almost worse. Like if they had gone full insect, it would have been interesting at least. Right. One of the weirdest things they took like the spiders yeah, and they gave them like mammal legs like the way their legs move or they were like running. Well, so the spiders, they're not mammal legs. They're little kids fingers. They're designed. You'll, you notice that they only have four legs and yeah. they're, they're th- that thick fatty because they're designed to fit over children's fingers. Cause they're puppets. So the most, a lot of the toys that had mounts. So, um, any one of the ones that had like a spider or an insect that they could ride, that in that insect was a puppet, and you could put your hand inside the spider and control its legs and make it like scurry around with the little guy on your on on its back. And um, I saw some pictures of it, and it's it's distressing. It's unnerving and they they often had like they all had like special features so there was some other articulated thing that you would control with your middle finger while you made it scurry around with your other fingers so it's really cool really high end but really freaky yeah kids kids generally really want to play with it yes but like but probably probably if something like this came out today i imagine it would be extremely popular because there'd be like adults that would be buying it and playing around with it you think they would like be jerking off with the hand puppets? I didn't think that was the case, but yes, absolutely. Given the way the society is right now, that's right. It's all so. fucked up, guys. <laughs> I will say this is the most commercial of the of the shows we have watched. Like everything else, I feel like is like a show with an associated toy. I the loading into this one, and we'll get into it in a second here. I definitely felt like I was watching a TV commercial to advertise toys to me. Interesting. That's interesting. It's definitely closer in time to Transformers and G.I. Joe, to like the, the progenitors of this form. It, this was owned by uh, Coleco, the creator of ColecoVision. Oh, interesting. And during this time, they were riding high because they owned uh, Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, okay. Right. So that Cabbage Patch Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids was this huge success, and this was them kind of trying to leverage that success into an additional toy line that was more uh, on the boy or the you know the male end of the toy spectrum. Interesting. I had no idea Cabbage Patch Kids was owned by Coleco. That's interesting. Coleco was kind of a weird company. I did a, a little research into their history, not very much, but they did not start in toys. They started as like a wheat company or... Um, they started in agriculture somehow. That's oh, wow. weird. That's like even and, weirder than Nintendo, because Nintendo started out as a card company. And th- well, yeah, and then Coleco got into games, and they had the ColecoVision, they had yeah. uh, the electronic quarterback, um, and then they had a whole bunch of ho- handheld games. Like, pretty much all the handheld ca- games from my childhood were holdovers from Coleco. 
So oh. the tiger, like <laughs> you, when you're saying the handheld, like the tiger ones with the little LCD, like moving the Ninja Turtles legs up and down. Yeah, I mean, I think Tiger was a later brand, but Coleco made a bunch of those before oh, Sega wow. did. Looks like Coleco originally started out in 1932 as the Connecticut Leather Company. Oh, I was very wrong. They supplied leather and shoe findings for shoe repairs. So, huh. and that's where Coleco comes from. Connecticut Leather Company. Coleco. That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. Like, when did they make the jump into to games and toys? During the uh, late 70s, 80s. I mean, could you imagine that, like, that board meeting? Like, completely fueled by cocaine. Like, they're like, <laughs> all right, Matt, the company's been, we've just been on a solid downturn this last quarter. What should we go to? And Matt just rips this huge gator tail of coke and he's like, <laughs> toys. <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm seeing insect people. Well it, well, it went from 1932, leather, World War II, they provided a bunch of shoes for the, for the military efforts. There we uh, go. War 19, 1950s, they diversified into leather lacing and other craft kits for toys. So BDSM for kids. And 1956. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably for dolls. 1956, they went into vacuum forming plastics. Yeah. 1961, the leather and shoe findings. Were, the leather and shoe findings part of the company were sold. So then they basically just focused on the plastics, got into inflatable vinyl to- pool toys in the early 60s. Late 60s, they got into like playtime product products and eagle toys. And in the 1970s was when they started to actually get huge and get into the snowmobile market. Yeah, what? Th- they did not do well in the snowmobile market. They were really, they were wow. really successful, but very diversified. So I was gonna say they diversified all over the fucking place. Yeah, Holy they bought smokes. a bunch of stuff. General um, Instruments. Yeah, and then and then it's a, it, it is the late seventies, early eighties. They got into electronics. Yeah. yeah. So, damn, we're not gonna be able to use any of this for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The, so the toys were eight inch. Nonsense. They were like they were like He-Man size plastic, and they were sold in pairs. So you would buy um, Zack and Bitar, or Dargon and Dragonflyer. I imagine that was probably the, the most expensive one, right? Yeah, that, because I mean, of Dragonflyer. So they did one line of toys, and then they had a planned second line, uh, and they did magazine photo shoots for the second line, but it was never released. Mm. Uh, and also, again, Marvel did an eight-issue limited miniseries based on the characters, same as we saw with Silverhawks and Jim, to get past the FCC ruling about having a, car- a tie into a toy line. So, so really, they kind of hit all the wickets. They followed the playbook perfectly. Yes. For for attempting to create these successful products, it was just too weird. Uh yeah, people people didn't like the fact that they made basically a Cronenberg hentai uh for uh <laughs> for kids to play with. Nice. So I can give you a little history on uh the setting. Obviously, we start in the opening learning that Symbian was a planet very much like ours. 
and they had a, an explosive biological experiment and it mutated the planet's biosphere. And insects and people are like crossed in a whole variety of different ways. Talk about the opening credits. Yeah. I really have love how this one guy is he mutates by growing a mustache. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually seeing like, I feel like a little bit of, uh, they don't really talk about this, but I think we're actually at the bitter end of the sectars as, um, as a people because there's only two main settlements left, which is the shining realm of Prosperon. Uh, ruined by Prince Dargon and the Dark Domain uh, of Sin. Ruins, ruined by Dark, by Prince Dargon. Uh, well, kind ruled? of ruined, but technically yeah. ruled. Okay, okay. Uh, the Dark Domain, the Dark Domain of Synax that is ruled by Empress Devora, who we never oh. really see. Okay, uh, I think she's at the very end of the episode. Like, I think she's the lady with the big, tall beehive. Nope. No, that's not. That's that's, that's, that's the, the medicine, medicine beetle. Yeah, medicine beetle. No, no, not her. I swear she's at. We'll get to it. Okay. Technically, uh, the dark domain and the shining realm are at peace due to a peace treaty, but uh, the peace treaty was a trick uh, by the the empress, uh, and they're having like a cold war style arms race to acquire the to acquire the technology of the ancients, which are located in the hives. H-Y-V-E-S, so that the other group won't acquire it uh, because they had, they'd had they been at war for years, but now there's kind of like a break in that. So that's why uh, Prince Dargon and his crew are out in the wilderness searching for the ancient hives. So that brings up a good point. Like at the very beginning of the show, when they show Symbian before the biological like maelstrom, whatever you want to call it, it looks very advanced, like very modern. Like there's a woman in there with a, with a test tube doing science with like, you know, science fiction-esque computer systems and everything. And yeah. That was one of the first things that jumped out to me. Then then you have the sectars and there are they have swords and crossbows and everything. So there was a huge backward step in the technology of this, this land. So I didn't know that they were searching for the technology of the ancients. That now actually makes a lot more sense as to why they're doing it because... I, from the opening, they had spaceships and lasers and, and all the the good sci-fi things that they don't have anymore. Well, the ancient ruin, like the, the trope of an ancient lost civilization that was technologically advanced is like a classic, yeah. uh, particularly for D&D or for um, any uh, kind of adventure genre where you're going to go dungeon delving to. Uh, I saw that, Derek. He's he's making me say I'm a nerd. <laughs> nerd. Um no, you're right. Like even yeah. even the Tomb Raider games. The whole point of the Tomb Raider games or Indiana Jones or any of those those explorative style movies, whatever. You're right. It's to go, hey, let's go find the ancient technology which is vastly superior to the stuff that we have. Yeah, it. it I mean, it really goes back to like the the medieval concept of exploring Roman ruins, where there were these ancient ruins that seemed more technologically advanced from the uh, point of view of the Dark Ages. In our opening credits, uh, we get a brief rundown of the history of Symbion, and we get introduced to uh, our two main uh, hero and antagonist, which is Prince Dar- uh, Dargon and Sp- General Spydrex. Spydrex. And they really lay it on thick, where they're like, good people are with uh, Prince Dargon, bad people who do bad things are with Spydrex. And 
really, you kind of get right off the bat, very quickly, that the good people that are with Prince Dargon all look like white dudes with insect makeup on, and all the bad people that are with General Spiderix are diverse. Yes. This is in the long tradition of all the good guys look alike, and all the bad guys are a diverse motley crew of uh, unique individuals. Uh, and it, and actually, like, the, the design of our heroes is kind of boring. Like, they all have the same color scheme. They're kind of wearing the same armor. Uh, they're It's kind of boring. Yeah. yeah and, and they literally do all look like white guys. Maybe, like, a little bit jaundiced white guys. But, I mean, yeah, uh, they're yellow. yellow. Yeah. yeah. Prince Dargon is the whitest insect I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so we begin our episode with a short recap of the last episode, but it's really mostly just a recap of the last, like, situation yeah. that Dargon and his band got stuck in. Last couple minutes. Yeah, it's it's a classic adventure yarn where we go out of the pan into the fire, onto the hearth, into the center of the earth very quickly. This is a serial not a lot of cartoons from this time frame are, are they? Could that have led to the lack of popularity of this particular program? They're trying to do some more advanced storytelling by actually drawing it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They did um they did a fair amount of world building. So they had like a they had a complete map of the world and a lot of the different areas kind of they had a lot of different locations mapped up and um, the kind of journey they're going on was fairly well plotted in terms of like yeah. mapping to actual locations in this on the map. They had like they I they showed some maps online and they were basically like hex crawls. Like everything was divided up like a D&D hex map. Nice. Uh anyway, the we uh, we quickly learn the people in our party, which I will introduce. We have Prince Dargon uh, and his insectar, Dragonflyer, uh, and he sounds a bit like he sounds a lot like Zap Brannigan. He does a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I was trying to place like w- who he sounded like, and I thought it was was something from one of the shows we've watched recently, but no, it's definitely Zap Brannigan. Uh, and then we've got his. Uh, uh, older veteran uh, warrior Pinsor, who has Battle Beetle, yep. and he's got he's got a real man at arms vibe. Yeah, I was actually just gonna say he was definitely like the man at arms for this series. Yeah, and we've got uh, then we have Zach, former captain of the Royal Card, and uh, Baitar. Can we can we address that for a second? Yeah. I know I've said it multiple times, but they have all these names, and actually, I think the names are pretty clever. Yep. And they just got, they got down to poor Zach, the toy yeah. that David has, and they're like, "All right, we need one more name. Like, what about I don't know, like <laughs> Scorptor or Mantoid <laughs> or Clicker Beetle or Zach? Great, that's the one. I can Fucking see them with Zach the, with yeah. the whiteboard, like crossing out all these <laughs> just, insect names." No, the, um, the the best part would be if the like if Zach was the name of the head writer's kid or something, right? Oh, it's very it's like, well, I, I promise you, son, I'm going to put your name in the next cartoon I write. I'm going to get you in there. What's the next cartoon, guys? What insects? Fuck! <laughs> Damn it! Um, Bytor also kind of looks like a butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like uh, he's got some lobes, you know. It looks like he can sli- David can slide is staring. Right the- <laughs> He's staring at his childhood toy right now, being like, <laughs> "Why didn't I think of that?" 
So many wasted years. You you missed one of the most important characters in this party. And it's Optimus Mantor. Yes, Mantor. He's a martial artist and scholar, and his companion is uh, Raplor. Raplor? It's something. It's... Yeah. <laughs> the one that's clearly a toy. Yeah, the one that's very clearly yeah. a toy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And he yes, he has the voice of Optimus Prime, Peter Cullen. Yep. Uh, but oh, this... does he really? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you didn't notice that watching it? No. Yeah. Right. It, it, hold on. I'm, I'm playing it, it was... we're kind of talking... It's he, it's totally like Optimus Prime, but like he set his voice just a little bit lower. Yeah, but it, it's totally him. Like it's yeah. easily him. This show also had Frank Welker and Tress McNeil, so like they picked really good voice talent. Particularly, yeah. yeah. Like Tress McNeil was just starting her career at this point, um, and they they picked her out. Nice. Oh my God, that is Optimus. Now, who yeah. who played the who played the head laser bug? Oh, uh, I don't know, actually. Because Krulla, at some point in time, Krulla sounds like he's doing a really bad Sylvester Stallone uh, impression. <laughs> and I I didn't know if that was like a acting choice or if it was just an like an actor that sounded a lot like Sly. I could like, see that. Back in the day when he was like doing the, when he was actually doing, and he was the, the biggest thing. Rocky. Yeah, I, I could see, I could see, I could see Krilla being pretending to be like a washed up boxer, yeah, kind of character. So Matt, this is one of those things. Like when we were starting, I, I said this show I both loved. I didn't say loved and hated, but I was like, there's things I'm really excited to talk about, and there's also things that I'm just like, this show is like. Ugh. Uh, and one of them was actually the voice talent. I think this is the best voice talent I we've essentially watched. I, I agree. Was very very impressed with the voice talent in this show, uh, amongst a couple other things. But the funny thing is, there's also some things that I'm very not impressed with, and I was just <laughs> like, "Holy shit, this is bad!" Yeah, but the voice actors—they are killing themselves doing these voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like they're they're definitely doing things that are not tenable. That would actually fall apart if they had to do it over. In a, an extended period of time, yeah. But it, it sounds great, and yeah. um, it's not like screechy or yelly the way um, uh, the Jesus, the Barbarian Starscream? show. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Thundar, yeah. Thundar, Thundar. Yeah. Um. So it, it feels really professional. It definitely feels like it, you know, like a very well produced '80s cartoon. Um. So the first thing we learn is that our main characters are under attack by Viper Vines. They open on a classic 80s cartoon shot that really took me back when I saw it, which is the pan over three or four repeating frames of animation as they're fighting the Viper Vines. And we get this like yeah. slow pan, and they're just doing the same thing for <laughs> two or three frames of animation. But we see it, uh, and they really milk a lot out of that art. And the Viper Vines, uh, Derek, what do those look like? <laughs> I mean, they, they look, they're very, very phallus-like <laughs> with teeth. They're, they're straight up, yeah, they're straight up dicks. They have straight up, yeah, they have huge purple heads. Yeah. 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 With big, veiny bodies. <laughs> You're just like, what the hell? <laughs> and the party really makes short work of them. Like, uh, it doesn't seem to be a very bad fight. Except for Zach, who gets bitten by one. Yeah. Now, during the fight, though, it did take a significant amount of time, as far as fights go, for 
Prince Dargon to even pull a sword out. That's like, true. He had to struggle. He he let the he let the vines wrap him up and a couple other folks up. Uh, Everybody is like seen struggling for a little bit, and it's only until like he's almost completely pinned down that he's like, "Oh yeah, I have a sword." And his arms are free the entire time, so he's able to reach a sword no problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got plot problems. Like, he, he finds things when it's important for the plot, for yeah. him to find things. Um, and he also, but, like, he solves all problems. Yeah, I was much. just going to say, he's the one that actually just does everything. Yeah. Everybody else gives him a ton of exposition to work with, but nobody else really does anything. Yeah, not really. I mean, they get healed, or they get sick. They cause situations he has to deal with. Um, so they go over, they run over to Zach and they comment that his, that Bytor, uh, who's telebonded to Zach, feels Zach's pain. And he's, uh, he's kind of, um, whining like a little puppy. And I just thought that this scene was really kinky. <laughs> and I liked it. Uh, at this point we cut away and they introduce Skulk, the bad guy. And Skulk had just shot the map of to the Hive of the Asians out of uh, Prince Dagnar's, Dargon's hands. And uh, we see him riding off on his, on his spider. And he looks goddamn amazing. Like, this he is does. hands down my favorite character. Yeah. Uh, his voice is amazing. I think it's Frank Welker doing, like, a really crazy voice. And he looks awesome. Uh, and he also... Um, looks really different as opposed to the all the yeah. heroes. This is he's, like the first. He's the least human looking of the uh, sectors. Yeah, he, right. he's got multiple eyes, and his his mouth is like a little claw, uh, a little uh, mandible. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Anyway, we cut back to our heroes, and uh, Optimus Prime Tour tells us that Zack has to be taken to the top of Mount Sektar because uh, he needs attention from the medicine beetle that lives there. And we zoom in on Zack's face and he, he says, leave me, go ahead. And he has the biggest, most fucked up eyes. Yeah. Um, and it really scares me. <laughs> I was a bit confused by this. When, when Mantor was talking about, when Mantor, Mantorus Prime was talking about getting up to the... Uh, Mount Sektar, yeah, to get the medicine beetle. I thought he was talking about like, oh, we got to go find this thing to feed to Zach. Me too. Or, or we got to find this thing to like crush up and make some sort of poultice out of it. Right. Little did we know. Yes, there's a reveal later. I think that was deliberate. Was it deliberate? Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I think because there's so much overlap in the way they name things, the the medicine beetle could have been anything, right? Yeah. Could yeah. could have been yeah. something that he eats. Well, as yeah, and also too throughout the episode, and we'll talk more about this as it goes on because this is the first episode I had seen. All the beetles that they had referred to were all like animal types, you know, right, yeah. like the yeah. things that they rode or the Tyranna beetle coming up, whatever that thing was called. They they were all beasts. They weren't. They weren't. You know. They weren't humanoid. Right. Yeah. No, they weren't. They weren't something that would suggest that. The healer beetle was a poultice, a consumable, a character, or whatever. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking to myself, the healer beetle was like 
Uh, the, the secretions of the healer beetle rub it all over your yeah, face. Yeah, you got You really got to really suck on the back of that beetle. Yeah, dude. I think emails for that shit used to go around back in the day. Just in general, the, the language in the show suffers a little bit from the Smurf problem because the name of the people or the name of the the race of humanoid insects are sectars. Mm-hmm. The they're going to Mount Sectar. I assumed that just meant Mount People. Yeah. Like, we're going to go yeah. to Mount People. But weren't they using Sectar in the place of, like, some other proper nouns? Well, I think Matt pointed out they're using Insectar for, like... Yeah, Insectar for the non-humanoid insects. Oh, the bad guys yeah. were called Insectar. I didn't no, no, up the, no, 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 no. The, the beetles. The writing animals and their, their companions are all called Insectars. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they, like, telebond with their insect companions. They're the Insectars. So speaking of the insectars, did you notice how all the bad guy insectars look very insectoid almost? Like yes. That one dude, like they've got multiple eyes, their mouths are are mandible esque, whatever. Whereas, well, they actually look our, more arachnid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Whereas our like our sectar heroes, we've got the the toy that David has looks like a dog. It just has two extra legs. Yeah. You know, uh, they all have like. Very, very relatable features and, and stuff, and they don't have, like, fangs or, like, pointy shit and whatever. Yeah, point of lore here. Uh, General Spydrex, he didn't telebond with his giant spider. He is enslaved it. That's how you know how evil he is. Oh. Is that really? Yeah, and it serves oh, him wow. out of fear. It's such a yeah. giant spider with wings, so it's, like, a really badass riding animal. It is. So. Yeah. Um, but I, I do have to say, uh, commenting on the medicine beetle again, um, as soon, the very first time I watched this, as soon as I heard, we have to get to the top of Mount Sektar to get the medicine beetle to heal Zack, what I wrote down in my notes was, God, I love this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, I was kind of there when I saw the title, uh, Trapped <laughs> yeah. in the Acid Desert. I- I actually didn't get to the point where I started to like it till much later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I was watching this and was just like, what the hell is this? Um, there, there's a very, very distinct point that when I watched it, as I was a wa- sorry, not when, as I was watching it, that I went, oh my God, wow, this is actually really good. Well, tell us when we get there. All right. Um, uh, Skulk? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm just going to fucking delete my audio stream. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Skulk reports to General Spydrex that Zack has been poisoned, and Spydrex decides to trap uh, Dargon in the Acer Desert. So they go and they trigger a rock fall over our heroes as they pass through a narrow gorge. Well, well hold on. Let's back up. Because the, the villains decide that they're going to concentrate on finishing off the heroes instead of going after yes. their goal of the hive and right. the secret weapons. But this is a classic villain trope that their their hatred of the hero is is the, yeah is the, is the what that keeps them from their long term goals. Not in cartoons, no. I mean, they really don't press their advantage like this. Oh, you I think mean, this I is mean, unusual? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, like throughout the episode, they're just dogging the heroes continuously in a really brutal way. Yeah, they're they, chasing. They them are. Down. They are, yeah. and, and the, mo- the most important thing is, you mentioned the advantage, and it's a, a significant advantage. 
because they seem to have full mobility the entire time. They're actually maneuvering between multiple locations, multiple cities, building up forces, attacking, making feints. So obviously, the capabilities and the resources that the quote-unquote bad guys have are significant to the point where if they actually did focus on just travel, they most likely would have been able to beat the pants off of all the sectars or the the, the Prince Dargon and his party. Right. Well, I mean, also their their long term goal is to get a technological advantage over their over the Shining Realm, and instead they're just trying to kill Prince Dargon. Where they could have just focused on getting to the Hive and acquiring the high level technology and kind of um, killing the Prince later, but they. They do like they they really kick the shit out of our our uh, our crew on the, this episode. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was about regularly. to just chime in and, and bring up. Like they are very very effective at at beating the sectars back. So this this idea of like, hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna go finish them off instead of going for the <laughs> the laser cannons and tanks and shit. Uh, you have proven yourself to be effective, but you just essentially opened yourself up to not go get laser tanks. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I think that, I honestly think that it, it's given their capabilities and given how much they're outmaneuvering uh, Prince Dargon, I feel like General Spydrix actually may have made the right call. Maybe. And, try, and just saying, like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to end it now. If we get the technology, that's going to be icing on the cake. But if we take them out, that pretty much cripples the what's the name of their civilization? Uh, the Shining Realm, Presperon. Yes, the, the Presperon. Yeah, the Shining Realm, like that. They would pretty much. It would. Yeah, be like I mean, no he's, contest at that point in time. Yeah, he's so, like taking out their head of state. I don't know. I, I could see arguments either way, but I, I don't necessarily think that it was a bad call for him, especially considering the things that he does in this um, episode. And that's when we get theirs when it got its hooks in me. Like that whole point was when I went, "Oh wow, this is this is different." Uh, yeah, I will say, like as opposed to most villains in cartoons, like he's combat effective and seems to be a good tactician. Yeah, he uh, seems to be competent. Yeah, and he and he's frightening. Like he he uh, he intimidates pretty much everyone into doing what he wants who's around him. Well, you said, I mean, was that really a true thing that you looked up? He slaved his spider beetle to him. Oh, yeah. That's that's 100% true. It's a fact that this fictional wow, yeah. Spider-Man uh, enslaved a spider mount to ride around in a cartoon. Yeah, especially when they have said at least two or three times in this episode that you have bonded with the whatever beetle. Don't oh, yeah. Beetle. With the butt beetle. With a butt beetle. With, you have bound, bonded with the sounding beetle. It crawled to your urethra. <laughs> oh, God. That's one of those fish in the Amazon that like crawls up a dick tube. Mm-hmm. I want to look for the docking bug. Kadiru. Um, uh, what? <laughs> so uh, they trigger a rock fall over our heroes, but Dargon uh, escapes, and Spydrex pursues him, but he tells us that um, Dargon's mount... Uh, Dragonflyer can't fly in the desert. So they feel like they're going to have an advantage. And, and they do get one. But but Spydrix, just a, a quick uh, cap here, Spydrix is essentially a black guy wearing purple armor. I wonder if we were going to talk about that. 
<laughs> well, well, no. Well, we already mentioned that Spodrick's is. Uh, uh, companions, they're all diverse. Like they're, they're they all have different color schemes. They're all different shaped, different sizes. Right. So, but he's he is wearing purple armor. So obviously he's the good guy. And um, <laughs> uh, and again, very combat effective. But it seems like he's uh, making a lot of decisions that his men are pretty much following to the T. Like he, he, there's no real dissension in the ranks either. So it's obvious that he has a pretty decent amount of. Uh, pretty good leadership yeah it's this isn't a skeletor kind of situation or or a um megatron situation yeah yeah all the other cartoons had these very weak leaders but spiderex seems to be pretty on the ball although i will say his rock slide was like colossally ineffective yeah like they they push this one big rock off the cliff and then other magic rocks (laughs) materialize and then our heroes run back like Five no, steps, no. maybe tops, and then they just climb over and continue on to the acid desert. No, like no, that, the, the best it. the best part is, is they send one giant rock down, and then they look over the edge to see like if it hit anybody, and then that's when Dargon and the rest just sort of look up at them and they're like, "Oh shit, Spiderix is there!" Yeah, <laughs> and they had they had one of those like locking eyes moments. <laughs> Um, but they're yeah. hot on their trail in the acid des- desert, and uh, Dargon and crew are looking for a place to hide. But Pinsor, our um, our uh, veteran warrior, leads the team to the ruin- ruins of Kornap, a place we haven't heard of before. And I assumed it was like an app for finding corn. <laughs> It'll show you hot single corns in your area. Was it Kornap mm. or Kornath? I think it was corn app. Corn app. All right. Yeah. It's when your it's when your core falls asleep for a little while. Mm. A corn nap. <laughs> a corn nap. Corn nap. I think corn. you're on the something. Uh my uh, core has fallen asleep for about ten years. <laughs> um and, and that's effective because the Spydrex can't find them and uh, instead of looking for Dargon, he starts to look for the bandits of the acid desert. The laser bugs. Yes, and the laser when the laser bugs came out, this is when I really got serious, like, l- like dropping dropping acid vibes. Yeah, <laughs> the laser yeah. bugs really <laughs> took this to another level because they're almost like cybernetic. Because like their their hands seem like they're cybernetic, and then the rest right. of them seem like they're insects, normal insects. Well, they like they shoot lasers out of their hands. They, you know, they evolved from lightning bugs, I'll bet. And that's why they shoot oh, lasers. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even kind of put two and two together on that one. You know, the lightning bugs that live in the desert. They, they look they look a lot more like locusts, but... They, they do, do look like, like grasshoppers. A lot like locusts, yeah. Uh, Dargon and the team, they hide in Cornap, and they all sit really close to the fire. Like, really, like, right up on the fire that they sat. <laughs> Uh, and, and in a flashback, uh, Mantor relates uh, the origin of Kornap, which is that it was a fortress that was overrun by laser bugs. Uh, and laser bugs have these like thick fingers. They have like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fingers that end in um, in lightning bug laser shooters. Yeah. They shoot out red beams. But we find out from that story from uh, Mantor that... Everybody in the fortress was slaughtered by the laser bugs, except for one sectar. 
the the uh, commander Leader. that was put in charge of the fortress. Yeah, and we get the immortal line where Pinsor reveals that he was that young sectar. <laughs> so, wow, leadership 101, right? I'm just going to let all the civilians I'm in charge of die. <laughs> well, I think and, I, and escape. I think they ran away. Anyway, he was captured by Krulla, yeah. the laser bug chieftain, and he's tortured. True, he's, he was. He was tortured so, and he was left for dead. As everybody as everybody was running away and they got massacred, he was captured and tortured. Yes. But still, that was one of the points I'm watching this, and I'm like, really? really? <laughs> like, you were the guy in charge? And you were just like, well, whatever. Fuck you, Tammy and your kids. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to live. I actually got, from all of this, I got like a very distinctive colonial vibe. Because they're, they're in a fortress, so it's obviously like a forward position outpost mm. in the middle of the desert the acid desert and there is a native people there the laser bugs that then fight them and basically destroy the fortress destroy kill everybody that's there so what the fuck were they doing in that fortress i i'm with you i get a real zulu like i, I get a no, real exactly, zulu yeah. feel like yeah. a, a a english colonialism sort of feel Exactly. Well, the British beat the shit out of the Zulus. I would say a better correlation would be the scene in Last of the Mohicans where they leave the fucking fort and they're marching across that meadow like with the forest on both sides and then the the Iroquois come and then just slaughter everybody <laughs> leaving the fort. That's uh, what I would go with. Yeah, that's when you learn yeah. you don't fuck with Daniel Day-Lewis. No, dude, that scene at the end of Last of the Mohicans where the music is going, yeah. and he's got that big fucking axe thing, and he's running up and just, like, whacking dudes in the stomach, and they're just like, oh, dude, that's a, like, you want to get amped up, like, if you ever have to go, like, fight somebody, I listen don't to that ever. song. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> I, it's no. never come up. <laughs> just in case, on Tuesday of this week, okay. that if you're challenged to a fight, Call me. I'll, I'll walk you through the whole thing, <laughs> and then I will send you okay. that song from Last of the Mohicans, and you're going to be so fucking hyped up. You got it. I'll got do it do right it. right before our design review before the, before the uh, oh, before dude. we go in for, in front of the vice president. No, don't you, don't <laughs> listen to the music. What you need to do is you need to watch the movie and watch the scene during that fight where what's it what's his name Mogwai carves out the heart of the yes. uh, captain it starts eating it in front of him that's yes. what you got to watch before you yes before Mike, because that's anything. what causes uncas and them to go fucking nuts and then that's when they just <laughs> begin that like dude you got the fucking drums going and every oh yes i would absolutely do it before your performance review just walk in <laughs> carve the heart out of your vice president <laughs> eat it uh uh yep i'm getting amped up thinking about it right now. <laughs> say something about the white man so, uh, so David, are we going to watch Last of the Mohicans at some point in time? Uh, can we do a podcast on that one? I just want to watch uh, it for the one scene where they're running up the mountain and Daniel Day-Lewis uh, like, kind of runs into the rock on the side of the mountain and it's clearly made of cloth and it like ripples. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched it enough to, yeah, I'll have to look for that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's towards the, uh, towards the uh, final scene. Uh, at this way, at the, anyway, we pull back from the uh, from our flashback to reveal that laser bugs are watching the campsite. <gasps> Commercial break. 
When we come back from a commercial, we see Krula. He's hanging out like in what is clearly like his parlor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like, like in his um, uh, fuck longhouse. Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. There we go. Now I'm trying to think of what it, what it is from Skyrim, the Nords, like the. Uh, <laughs> let's stick with the Viking longhouse. Yeah, because because it's obviously like it's like a big area. He's sitting on a, a rather large chair, drinking, talking to folks. Uh, he, lear- he learns. Yeah, what's the Nords in Skyrim? Uh, yeah, like that was the whole the whole thing. You understand they're like based on like a real culture, like the Vikings, like the Nords yeah. aren't really a th- they're a made up thing, yeah. right? Yes, I know. It's a combination. It's a combination of them, and in my little video down here, the Mohicans in Iroquois. Oh, here's the song. I'm about to beat somebody's ass right now. Krilla uh, learns that somebody is in the ruins, and he plans to attack them in the morning. Well, um, no, no, Krilla. He, he's he's eating his uh, what what's clearly mutton. Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody tells him that, uh, he, I think they actually tell them that it's uh, Pinsor that's back. And he's like, no, oh, shit. Yeah, it's on. He doesn't know that it's Pinsor yet. He just knows no, someone is in. They say beings are in the ruins. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and Krolo looks like he's the roadie for a metal band. He yeah. really does, doesn't he? Yeah, his hair is not good. Yeah, well, I think he's the only one that has hair. I think that's why they made him chief. <laughs> uh, this goes with Mike. With yeah, this yeah. goes with Mike's theory. If you have hair, you're the good guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is a good theory. Holy yeah. crap! Yeah. You don't remember that from Wildcats? I do, but I, yeah. I mean, I do remember talking about it. But like the more like saying it then there, I was like, holy shit, you're right. In Last of the Mohicans, the bad guy has no hair. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Mike just retroactively blew your mind. I know. He did. Where is he? Is he just running around his house in his superhero costume right now? Probably. <laughs> He's probably yeah, combing his luxurious hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point, somebody shoots a tiny missile at his chair leg. I, this one did not make sense to me. It's no. like a split second. And there's like a tiny missile that shoots at his chair leg, and there's like a little explosion and some smoke next to him. And so he rushes out onto the veranda, and um, he sees uh, Spydrex and his men attacking his mud towers. Yeah. So that little missile must have been just sort of like a a stray bullet that was fired. Because we do see from from the the weapons that uh, Spydrex's men use, those weapons are all projectile-based weapons, and they all shoot these like tiny little missiles that you get to see it's in like a split frame as it's flying across. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're venom guns, and they shoot venom darts. That's why ah, gotcha. later on, when we see uh, Prince Dargon, Dagnarg, whatever the hell his name is, it's Dargon. He, it's Dargon. He yeah. like takes Dorag. people out with his gun, but they t- they say like, oh, they're, they're taking a nap because they're not actually mm-hmm. killed. They're just they're just uh, knocked out. So it's very clear that at least some of the ancient technology has survived. Because like, that that was one of the ones brought up earlier in conversation where I was like, hey, the symbion pre-biological mutation, the people are wearing like neckties and lab coats and doing very modern things. So you would think that they had modern weapons. And then we're seeing swords and crossbows. And yes, there's lasers in the, the laser bug arms. 
the there at least people have projectile based pistols, laser pistols. So some of the stuff has like kind of survived, I guess. Like, I mean, I I think it's more like we're in a uh, like we're in we're in a hypothetical level of technology, which it's uh, gotcha. th- there isn't enough in- infrastructure to get a beyond a thatch hunt. But our hero has essentially a gun because they wanted right. him to have a gun. Um. Anyway, Spydrick suddenly gets the drop on Krilla and uh, wraps his laser hand with a venom whip, uh, and which then Spydrick forces Krilla to track down Pinsor, Pinsor and Dargon and reveals that it is Pinsor in the ruins. I'm pretty sure the venom whip seems like it's a uh, like a high-powered weapon that's already been talked about before in, in previous episodes because it's almost like because they do like kind of a quick close up on mm-hmm. the, ta- the the tip of the venom whip, and like everybody seems to be like, "Oh, he got hit by the venom whip." So it's it's I imagine it is like a something that has a backstory to it up to this point in time. It looks it looks like it's pseudo alive. Yeah. It seems to split right at the end, like it's a like, like a, a pair of tongue. fangs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty badass weapon. Yeah, like maybe there's a button on the handle where. Where it'll actually like bite you if he presses it, yeah, and inject the inject venom. I think we can all agree it's really kinky. We cut yep. to our boys are in the desert. It's hot. They're sweating. <laughs> they have no water. Yeah, they're they're and, they're drinking water out of their canteens. And fucking Prince Dagon does like the weirdest fucking thing. They're drinking out of their <laughs> Chekhov's canteens. Yeah, they're yeah they're drinking out of the Chekhov's canteens, but Prince Dagon pours water from his canteen into his hands. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> it looked like he was about to like feed one of the insectars, like, yeah, one of the mounts, and then he just no, drinks the water not. out of his own fucking hand. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Why are you drinking out of your hand? Uh, he encourages Dragonflyer to try to fly again, but he's just not able in the heat and the acid air. Acid, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is actually oddly scientific here because uh, insects have a do have a lot of problems with uh, heat management. Sure, interesting. I mean, management yeah. in general, they just don't have a good bureaucracy. No, I mean they're the world's most populous. Well, whatever. I was going to say ants actually genus are really good at management. I think ant bureaucracy is pretty fucking streamlined. Actually, I read I read something yeah. about bees that actually like. Two thir- like only a third of bees actually work. Two thirds of bees don't do shit. Like they just hang around in the hive. <laughs> oh, and they're really? dead fucking weight. Yeah, and like they're checking like, Reddit. They're yeah, just shitting yeah. all the time. <laughs> so they're Reddit. a lot like people, if you know what I mean. Watching the end of the last of the Mohicans over here. <laughs> this is the most hype fucking scene ever. By the way, taking been taking a, good a dump five on the... or six years since I've seen this. <laughs> taking a dump on the company time. Yeah, dude, 10 minutes a day. Pfft. Duh. Um <laughs> So at this point, um the laser bugs attack. They see them flying uh over the horizon and they they swoop down and with pinpoint accuracy shoot all the canteens and water skins uh, yeah. and harm no one in the party. I feel like it was a very psychologically effective but like tactically ineffective strategy. Right. Oh, he just fucking hit that dude in the nuts with an axe. 
<laughs> Quit watching Last of the Mohicans. I can do both. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, tactically speaking, this might have been a good um, good thing for them to pull off because this the Spidrix, Spidrix and his uh, crew are not with them. These are just the laser bugs. Right. They're essentially just flying past real quick, shooting at like a, a few volleys of lasers at these guys, and then flying off. And I, I thought that if you put yourself in uh, Kralo's position, he's he's sending his people out to basically thwart a third party's enemy. Right. He doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. And by doing it this way, he's not really exposing too many of his men to combat. He's actually just sort of getting... Like, quick flyby, take out all of their water, let the desert do the work. Uh, yeah, Krella seems clever. I, and I get, I, to your point, like, I have in my notes that Krella seems to be really playing by the letter of the law here. Yeah. In that he, he, he's like, yeah, I set it up for you. Go, uh, it's your win now. Go go do your thing. It. I mean, it's, it's very good raid tactics. Like, I'm just kind of talking to my ass earlier, but, like, if you're really going to harass an enemy force, yeah. Reduce their ability to to eat, to yeah, eat, rest, yeah. and consume. You know, so sure. Yeah, he smokes their water with zero losses of his own people. Now he just really threw a wrench into our hero's plans. Dude, about three days into the acid desert, I was smoking water too. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really trying, guys. <laughs> uh, and we get the best line from Mantor, which the line delivery, which he says, "We have lost all our water." <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for telling me something I didn't fucking know dude <laughs> uh, but at this point Dargon spots Mount Sektar uh, oh thank god but Pinsor collapses like a little bitch and begs for water oh he's such a bitch oh god <laughs> <laughs> I need water and um, Laserbugs bugs and Spydrex attack again and we see Spydrex marching across the desert and this is when they really step up their pursuit. Um, they're really like all over the the prince and his crew from this point on. Yeah. Uh, the team takes cover under a large overhanging rock, and they start to engage in like a, um, a gun battle. But Dargon almost falls into a large hole and is saved by Mantor. Uh, eventually, though. Each member of the party is forced or knocked into the hole one after the other. It almost looked like it was intentional. Like the the hole was really just sort of covered with a like very thin rock. Um, it like flipped up like a trap door kind of. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a trap door at first when I saw it, but then like the, the door, quote unquote door part actually just sort of fell into the hole. So Yeah. So that this is actually the point at which I went this is trash <laughs> to I, I actually like this because this is one of the first the first shows that we've watched or things that we've watched on our own and we didn't decide to do a pod on or whatever where the heroes really actually felt like they were in trouble. Like the heroes got their asses kicked yeah. hard. Yeah, time in this of the fight. Game. Like nobody really. nobody did well. Like e- e- even the you know the the king hero, Prince What's his nuts, he he at the end he's like it's down to me and you and then pff, he's thrown in the hole too and you're just like oh shit all right i guess spydrax and his forces have won 
and that's the point that this that 14 minutes and 20 seconds it took for me to go, this is the world's worst infomercial to, <laughs> oh, my God, this is actually pretty good. And you, you had know? to, like, wipe away the tears. You were like, oh, bye, Tor. Bye, Tor. <laughs> Not really. But, no, it's it's funny. Watching this one for the first time, I had zero interest in this. And then all of a sudden they all fell into that hole and there was a moment of like Derek got transported back into like six year old Derek's body and went, <gasps> "What's going to happen to the heroes? Are, are they all hurt? Are they all dead?" They I fell down that desert butthole. She's like Boba right? Fett. The, yeah, the, the desert booty hole to nowhere. Uh, to your point, we'll find out, folks. <laughs> to your point, Derek, like this really scratched a childhood itch of mine. In that, like this felt like the, the cartoon we were designed to review for this show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, it's there's so many terrible parts of this, like really, truly. But the high points where it shines are really good. Um, so Krula tells Spidrex that uh, underneath uh, the acid desert there is a an underground lake, and it is the nest of the giant Tyranna beetle. Um, Tyranna beetle Rex. Yes, and so the party is uh, as good as dead. Right. Uh, and we we uh, we cut to our heroes in the lake, and everybody just seems fine. They swim ashore. Uh, Pinsor is happy that they found water. Everything seems to be great down in the down in the underground. Uh, I found that an interesting kind of writing uh, direction where they made the lake water, even though you're in the acid desert up above. Like I figured that they would have done something with an acid lake, but now nah, it's just water. I think the the writing on this show is actually kind of lazy because it, it really just yeah. hits every like pulp novel trend. No, it does. Like, it does. Yeah, and um, but it does it so fast and so facilely that you're that you're kind of along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the when I actually recognized that it was it was pulling all those tropes out of at once um, was during the scene actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Yeah. When. Where they they walk off a little bit, and uh, Tyranna Beetle Tyranna Beetle comes out and starts attacking them, and then like they they run off, and then suddenly there's like some sort of skirmish, and then another Tyranna Beetle, a baby Tyranna Beetle, comes out, and then suddenly the ground just turns into quicksand out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, so th- and it's, it, when I when I saw the quicksand, I was like, damn, they really are just cramming every '80s trope that can't end here. As soon as, I, that's what I have in my I notes. As soon as the quicksand pit was there, I was like, "We're in the '80s. This is yeah. th- we're in the '80s yeah. now. This is the time in which quicksand existed, and it was a real danger <laughs> to everyone all the time." Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's that meme where you're like, "Everything I saw as a child in the '80s convinced me that quicksand would be a much bigger problem as an adult <laughs> right. than it actually is." Right? Like, holy shit! I was like, "Dude, there's gonna be." I'm gonna be walking to the bus. Yeah, we all we all know at least bam, one quicksand. quicksand fact of how like how to get out of it. Yeah, it's yeah. perfectly still. Yeah, and you just know call what's, for what's help. Actually, funny yeah. about no shit actual quicksand is you don't sink in it. No, yeah, yeah. you float. It's water. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just like sit there and you're like, this is like sitting on Jello. Well, the point of that scene that I want to get to is they show the baby monster, and he's charging at the prince. Right. And then it cuts to the baby monster sinking in the quicksand. And there's clearly a scene missing 
where the prince kicks him into the quicksand. <laughs> there, there is definitely a, like continuity errors here because yeah. oh, when yeah, the yeah. baby is attacking, he's the size of a house. And yeah. then as soon as he falls in the quicksand, there's this weird inverse relationship. The deeper he gets in the quicksand, he gets smaller and the quicksand pit gets bigger. Yeah. And so at the end of this scene, the quicksand pit is like 50 or 60 feet across. And initially it looked like it was maybe eight feet. Yeah, I, I, I was actually confused by that the first time watching through because I didn't know who was who. Like the baby Tyranna beetle or the the, the mama, mama Tyranna beetle. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it doesn't really come become clear until the second half of the scene. Yeah. Uh, and Dargon is threatened by another Tyranna beetle. Uh, but it turns away to rescue its offspring, which we now see is struggling in the quicksand pit. Uh, and then I have in my and notes. crying. Yes, I write in my notes. Hilariously, we see them crying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we see like tears welling up in their eyes. And I, I, I feel like the Tyranna Beetle was actually the, the worst of the Uncanny Valley because um, <laughs> they, they gave them almost like humanoid mouths. Yes. Yeah. With with like just sort of some pincers on either side of it, so like they would make whimpering noises and were crying. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Um, a battle beetle cuts down a tree, and uh, Dargon climbs out over the massive pit and then pulls up and saves the baby Tyranna beetle. And which... I, I really feel like th- this this was like the one time that somebody else besides Dargon did something useful. Yes. And it was. Um, it was Mantor. Or, no, no, Dargon, it was Dargon it was, gave the instructions to Pinsor to tell no, Battle Beetle to not to cut down the tree. That's that was going to be my point. Is Pinsor did something? He asked Battle Beetle to to, tear, to uh, cut down the tree, but it was specifically at the request of Dargon. So yeah. even when somebody else is doing something effective, it's because Dargon told him to. Quite frankly, when when Prince Dargon was like. Pinsor, tell Battle Beetle to cut down the tree. I was like, do it your damn self. Right. <laughs> if you're going to go through the trouble of telling me, just tell the fucking Beetle. Jesus. I, if I was Pinsor, I'd be like, you? you just you just use me for Battle Beetle. You don't care about me, Pinsor. <laughs> you didn't even cry when I told you my entire city was burned to the ground and I was tortured almost to death. To be fair, he let his city get burned to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and that leader... Was me. And that sector was me. I let all my civilians <laughs> die. Uh, so I they... even ate a bit of them to survive in the desert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know what sector tastes like? <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Bacon. <laughs> we are so good amazing. on the inside. <laughs> um, tastes like last of the Mohican sounds. <laughs> so... We we check back in with Spiderix, I think, after all this. After after Dargon has shown some compassion See. to the uh uh Tyrannus, what is it? Tyrannobeetle. Well he's won them over. So the Tyrannobeetle now knows that these aren't food, these are friends because mm-hmm. they showed compassion towards my and, baby. And the baby Tyrannobeetle licks Dargon over his face and has like a <laughs> uh, mammalian dog tongue. It's very bizarre. So fucking weird. It's it yeah, is, right. It's pretty lazy writing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, but we check in with with Spiderix, and uh, uh, something we failed to mention before was the laser bugs were tasked with getting Spiderix and his men 
to the edge of the acid desert up to the kingdom of shadows. Yeah, the Citadel of Shadows. Citadel of Shadows. So they had to fight their battles for them, and now the laser bugs are now like the tour guides for these uh, for Spiderix and his men. They really are like the col- they're the the sufferer. They're suffering under colonialism, where they they're, have to yeah. be. Yeah, they're, they're the native people that are suffering from this battle that isn't theirs that they're now kind of getting inscripted into. But Spydrex quickly spots Stargon and his crew who've made it out of, uh, uh, out of the underground lake. And the Laserbugs and Spydrex ambush our boys again on Mount Sektar. This is around the time that I was starting to get the, the Sylvester Stallone vibes from, uh, uh, was it Carla? Carla? Uh, Crolla. 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 Yeah. Um, and they they come in on both sides, and in fact, Pinsor yells, "We're getting it from both sides." <laughs> uh, but Battle Beaver throws uh, Dragonflyer with Zack on his back up to the top of the mountain. He just like chucks him up there, and yeah. uh, Battlebug kind of flaps his wings. I guess they're high enough that the Dragonflyer, heat isn't... Yeah. yeah, Dragonflyer right. starts to yeah. flap his wings. It manages to take off. And that kind of frees up our heroes to really take the fight to Krulla and um, Spydrex. Um, and Pinchor captures Krulla and uh, threatens him and forces him to call off his laser bugs. And then Dargon winds up wrestling the whip. Uh, yes. Spydrex's whip away from him. And then whips Spydrex with it and says, how about you get a taste of your own medicine? Yep, which is one of my favorite lines. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but he he steals the Venom Whip, and, and uh, I really hope he keeps that thing, because the Venom Whip is badass. It looked uh, like he just sort of threw it away, though. <laughs> Honestly, it looks like he just threw it on the ground afterwards. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I didn't get the impression that he kept it. And Anyway, at this point, all the bad guys bug out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. We're done for the night, guys. <laughs> we cannot top that one. Uh, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> David, just stop us. Nice. Stop us right there. Do, do we need to go back to uh, them getting hit from both sides in, in a pincer movement? There we go. Ooh, nice. nice. I mean, Solid, that was David. That was good. But they bug out. <laughs> they rush up to the top of the mountain. All right. And Zach comes out of a cave completely healed. Completely healed, seemingly completely rested. We learned the medicine beetle is a hottie. The attractive medicine beetle drained him of all toxins. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) No, that's what she says. Yeah, the medicine beetle turns out to be a woman. Turns out to be a ladybug. Voiced by Tress McNeil. Yeah. And, um... She, she she does say that, Derek. She says, I have drained yeah. the viper vine poison from your friend. So the viper vine poison Yikes. from your okay, friend. Okay, guys. It all is, right. it is we don't rare. all have to be Mike. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm actually not being Mike on this one. When I heard that bit, I was like, holy shit. Like, the innuendo there is, is nuts. Uh, well, this is like the only woman in the episode. Yeah. And and she so shows like, up for f- literally four seconds. 
honestly, for all we know, it could be the only woman in the entire world because we haven't really seen another one. So it's like Smurfette. No, yeah. I have some background. I have some things to reveal about uh, Ooh, the, the love triangle that we our characters are in. And oh. this actually adds an extra dimension to the episode. And that is that Prince uh, Dargon is in love with Zach's betrothed. Oh. And if Ooh. Zach died... The way would be open for him to be with him. But he loves Zack as a friend and as a brother, and he can't let him die. So he's got like a reverse Lancelot happening. Where did you get that from? The wiki. (laughs) 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 Professor Google, no big deal. You know, I know how to type the word sectars into that little bar at the top of the browser. (laughs) Nice. Um, And Dargon rushes up to the medicine beetle and says... What can we do to repay you? And the medicine people says, uh, hey, could you stop Spydrex? And he's like, yeah, that was our plan. Yeah, that's what we're doing, actually. <laughs> the end. Yeah, so check. Um, and she tells them that they have to go to the Citadel of Shadows and see the Shadow Master. And to do that, they have to descend Mount Sektar to the north. And then all of a sudden, they're doing that. And there's this yeah. very abrupt move from the end of that conversation to essentially them falling off of uh, Mount Sektar in a snowstorm, uh, and we get a freeze frame of all of them falling in midair with be- to-be-continued floating well, over their bodies. The reason why they fell was because they were being hit by an avalanche. There was falling debris coming down and hitting them. Yes. And, and earlier in the episode, Dargon correctly identified the rocks that were falling on them that were thrown by Spiderix. He called that an avalanche. Well, this time he actually yells earthquake. This time he yells earthquake. Mm-hmm. So he's confused. No, writers, That's all I'm saying. The writers of the show love avalanches, and they're like, ah, oh, we need something here to up the ante. What do you think of um, an avalanche? Nah, nah, we already did an avalanche earlier, <laughs> Benny. We've only, you, we've only had three avalanches this episode, so it, it we're allowed... Work. Yeah, we're allowed four avalanches legally. How about a uh, acid storm? No, no, no. They just no. got out of the desert. Uh, the acid desert. What else you got? Tsunami? Mm, earthquake? I, fuck you. Earthquake. <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> Benny, you got a raise. Um, and that is the end of Sector's episode four, Trapped in the Acid Desert. On a cliffhanger, literally, to be continued. Well, actually, it's like post the cliffhanger. They've fallen off the cliff. Yeah. That's true. They're falling. (laughs) (laughs) How did we feel about Sektar's Warriors of Symbion? Daniel Day-Lewis and the Mohicans is hot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But what do we think of Sektar's? David, are we doing like what we're thinking about it presently? In our today bodies or when we were kids? In our today bodies. How are you in your today body? Uh, as a kid, I would have lapped this shit up. I would have been very into sectars. There, it's just a little It's just a little weird. I really would have enjoyed that. Um, I would have enjoyed the, uh, the world-building aspects because there's actually a little more meat on the world-building bones. Um, and I probably would have liked the characters because I was an idiot. Um, but I think as a kid, I would have really enjoyed Sectars. 
me too. Yeah. I, I was going to say, as a kid, I would have fucking loved this cartoon. Yeah. But like, like you said, it was a little bit weird, but it was like, it was weird in an interesting enough of a way. Um, I, I would have totally been all about the plot. And I was very, very drawn to anything with a continuous plot. Yeah, me too. The monster by the week thing did not interest me nearly as much as the like beat by beat continuous plot. That's one of the reasons why I loved uh, uh, the Pirates of Darkwater. So yeah, much. me too. I was going to mention the same thing. Yeah, we used to watch the Pirates of Darkwaters at, at Adam's house, yeah. and I I I totally loved that because I was like, oh, there's a continuous narrative, and there's like, um, they 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 actually acquire these seven stones that they're looking for. And, and and it's also one of those others that had like a great deal of world building that was attached to it. It was also really fucking weird. But yeah, um, yeah, I, w- I would have loved this as a kid. As as an adult, I've, I've I still fucking love this. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> what was it that I texted you guys earlier? The, I, you were like, "This is what your brain does when you're not thinking." Yeah, yeah. When I'm just sort of like daydreaming, this is the type of shit that I daydream about. <laughs> what this would happen if that insect wrote that insect and fought that other spider? I definitely. This is the kind of thing that I want to go back and watch the whole series really high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or drunk. I can see that. I mean, as as your <laughs> your military guy, I'll just get super blasted with you. There we go, here. buddy. <laughs> 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 but no, I I enjoyed it too. I, it's it's funny because. Watching it through for about the first 12 minutes, the first time, I was like, this is shit. And then at the end of it, and then the subsequent like playthrough, I was subsequent. like, I, I really like this. Isn't that the correct use of subsequent? No. <laughs> no, 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 subsequent is like we're, subsequent. We're, we're adopting. We're, we're adopting. Okay, subsequent. We're going to say subsequent from now on. Yeah, we're adopting that for oh. the podcast. Subsequent. Subsequent. Listen, dude, I wasn't. I was that's when you're. Major? Is that when you go underwater and you have a shiny dress on? No, that's when you uh, put scales subsequ- on the sub. Ooh. Oh, you have a sequin sub. <laughs> subsequent. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. All right, next question. No, 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 I, I, no. no I, I, I was actually. I think I might have mentioned this at some point in time. I think it's very. I like. The mispronunciation. I think it's charming. I think we need to just adopt it. Yeah, you're like our pet. <laughs> okay, great. I'm an engineer. I speak in three word sentences. Metal is hard. Oh, did, we have an did, engineer. Did I, Metal pet. is cold. You did know, I, I could I could feel his pain. Did I tell you when I was doing uh, my wolf shows? I was a, the announcer for the shows, um, probably about half the time. And for about two to three years, I was talking about the wolves olfactory abilities mm-hmm. and for two years I was saying olfasori <laughs> <laughs> I would, that's I, even better than subsequent no no it is <laughs> instead of subsequent I, I, would, I would go up and I'd talk about it and I would say olfasori for two fucking years my co-workers, my co-workers listened to me do this goddamn show saying olfasori and then somebody just randomly around me said olfactory, and I was like, what? Is that how you pronounce that? <laughs> Fuck! They, I mean, I met your coworkers. They didn't know. No, they didn't They know, probably no. thought you were fine. <laughs> no, they, they probably they, thought They I thought you were right. the smartest dude yeah. out there. Well, uh, it, and that guy was probably going to a, like, he was going somewhere downtown to an old factory. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
would you let your children watch this? So I'm torn. I'm, I'm actually picturing Matt sitting his child down in like yeah, the yeah. Uh, uh, clockwork award style. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Taping, eyes, her eyes like open. <laughs> Taping her eyes open. Taping her eyes open. Jesus Christ. Get little toothpicks in there. We're going to see what happens. This is what the outside world is like. So I'm. That's why you have to wear masks. And- <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> People are insects outside. I'm torn because I enjoyed this. I thought it was fun, but it is not good to women. There are no female characters of any worth, and the one that they have is like a walking plot device and really has nothing to say. What are you talking about? She's a fucking doctor, man. <laughs> She's a doctor. She's a doctor, man. She literally sucked the toxins out of him. Like a doctor like, would. Yeah. Doctors <laughs> known for their sucking ability. Fun fact, all the toxins are in my dick. She's a she's a professional bug in this man's world. She's mm-hmm. obviously a hard hitting medical professional a... because people have to come and seek her out at the top yeah. of that mountain. Like all medical professional professionals, she's going sucker. to live at the top of a mountain in the she's acid got desert. Vacuum like quantities. Jesus. So uh, I don't. I overall, I'd have to watch the whole show. But overall, my suspicion is it does not have a lot of good female role models for my darling girl, and I want my girl to kick ass. I want her to. I want her to be that young sectar. Uh, Derek, would you uh, let your future child watch Sectar's Warriors of Symbion? So again, I. Uh... Like this, this show is very divisive. Like I, I have a. Do you mean about divisive? It. Is it really divisive? <laughs> <laughs> no, divisive. You're, I don't know. you're divisive fucking is, with us now, aren't you? <laughs> no, divisive is actually. I think stop, both, art major. Quit bullying me. I think both pronunciations uh, are correct. No, I mean, I, I guess I guess this one would be a no, um, because. One of my first impressions in, in watching it, and I, and I said it, I think, before we started to record, is this is the biggest commercial mm. that we've watched. Like, when I when I sat down to watch this, my, my very initial impression was this is not a show that has action figures based off a show. This is a commercial for action figures. Um, but the things that... But there's a lot of stuff that I really liked about this show. Uh, I guess this one's kind of a wash, to be 100% honest. All right. Um, I think they did some things extraordinarily well. I think they did some things extraordinarily not well. But the things that they did extraordinarily well were, were so rare for the time that uh, that this kind of gets the, yeah, I guess, 51 to 49. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's what, these kind of hard life and death decisions that really make this podcast relevant. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but am I alone in thinking that? Like, I mean, the fact that they had a, a continuity in their plot, their voice acting was great. Yeah, they they made the characters, the the visual models of the characters. This is all stuff we talked about. Interesting. Yeah, the fact that they actually made the heroes seem like the heroes were in trouble instead of just being like. I'm laser whipped to a wall with one arm and I broke free. And then like all of a sudden the plot goes on, like all of them disappear at one point and you go as a six year old, <gasps> like, yeah, what are they going to do? Like they did some stuff extraordinarily well. 
they also did some stuff not so good. It would have been very interesting if they actually went in and uh, made that more of a theme for the heroes. The like, they're constantly beleaguered by the bad guys. They're always at yeah. a disadvantage. They're always knocked down. If they made that more the theme of them being like, we're going to struggle through. We're never going to give up hope. We're going to keep fighting the good fight. Instead, it's just sort of like, oh, here's the next thing we have to do. Here's the next thing we have to do. Here's yeah, the next I mean, thing we have to do. I think it would have been even more interesting if the heroes acted like they knew that, right? Like they oh, acted, yeah. they knew they like they were at a disadvantage, and they had to have strategies and things that they mm-hmm. did to get around fighting directly, or you know, like what if they were setting the traps, or or they were being sneaky because they were always in these situations where they're at a disadvantage. I feel like that would have been more exciting. Yeah. So in, when we rewrite sectars. Uh, Sectars 2, Warriors of uh, Seattle. Let's set it in Seattle. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sectars, Bill, Warriors Bill of Gates, Seattle. Bill's Gates experiments in uh, oh, the go vaccine wild. for uh, COVID-19 the poops. to control yeah. the human race turns people into insects. Uh, the insects form an autonomous. The insects form an autonomous zone in Seattle <laughs> <laughs> to combat the street poop menace. The right. insect jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they uh, they have to go uh, down to the dispensary to get to the hive. No, I, I um, that actually kind of brings up a good point. We're talking about uh, rewriting this rights who owns the rights to this i i I saw we didn't mention it yet this is a ruby spears production right yes it is our good buddies ruby and And Spears. spears overall like really good production value like i i think for the time this was very well animated there were, yeah, I mean, yeah. there was one big continuity error that we saw, but for the most part, things flowed really well. It was pretty well animated, consistently drawn. You could always identify everybody. And, of course, like, they really, I, I think they really spent the money on really great voice talent. Yeah, yeah. So the one universe theory. So let's negotiate who's going in what order. <laughs> I really need to learn it. to prepare for these. I should, yeah, I should do the same thing and write out in my notes, like, which one universe. So I'm going to throw this out there as just as a, as a, a starter, you know, like a yeast starter for the okay. bread of uh, one universe that we're going to make. So my thought on this, what if Symbian wasn't, you know, didn't tie into Earth? What if we are looking of the future of uh the planet that the Star Blazers are trying to get to, or the past of the planet the Star Blazers are trying to get to. So this is Iskandar. Yes. So this is the, this is the past of Iskandar, and Starsha is an Insectar. Nice. So, so I have a I have another small piece. So I think that first the insects mutate, mm-hmm. and then okay. the reptiles mutate, and finally the mammals mutate. So I think that eventually the mock are going to evolve on this planet. Nice. As a symbiotic race to catch all the people that the insectars are throwing around. Oh, ah. nice. nice. So th- this is the so origin of the mock. Eventually, yes. So this is taking place in the 2000 years between 1994 and Thundar. Yes. 
Okay. Oh, okay. So we're seeing we're seeing the kind of year one thousand, perhaps. So <laughs> there he is. He's cracking his knuckles, guys. No, no, I, it's not Gerger loins. Here we go. It's really not going to be that good, because um, um, I, I kind of prefer your theory, Matt. Honestly, um, <laughs> just because it's it's a, a separate. We're going into like the an exploration of like some other peoples. What I was just going to say was Simeon was a stop uh, on the way to New Texas mm. from the refugees of Earth, and. It was on Symbian that they first started to experiment with the uh, creation of uh, human-animal human hybrids. hybrids. Yeah. yeah. And that's the experiment that went wrong, and they had to basically flee that planet on their way and basically decided to take off again towards Texas. And they, the mutagenic ooze that they got from that from Symbian, they were able to use to create the, the Muppet Babies. That actually fits our overall timeline that's a little a, better. Yeah, that's actually really, really good. I was going to go with what if Symbian is Jem's pubic lice? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we're seeing like a micro view. <laughs> it's, it's her pubic lice that have been given sentience from yeah. <laughs> starlight. I'm sorry. I've been waiting to deliver that joke for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. I've been Worth it. it. Um, so it gives it a whole new meaning to the the biological experiment exploded. <laughs> so we're seeing like what happens when riot jizz gets gets on gets on the the lice in the gems pubes. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Uh, to the audience, right. Derek is crying. <laughs> crying a little bit yeah, too. I am. Uh-huh. My my face hurts. Uh-huh. Oh, I God. love the idea that I love the idea that it's a micro world. Yeah. Uh, and I also love the idea that what's Mount what's Mount Sectar? <laughs> it's her belly button. She's got an Audi. Yeah. So. Gems pubic lace. All right. Anyways, okay, gems next pubic question. Lice. I, like I, one, I yeah. think gems pubic lace is canon. <laughs> Jim's pubic lice holds weight. Okay, we we know that Jim spent three months on a fucking deserted island. Who knows what parasite she picked up the entire time she was oh, there? Oh, that's when right? these. That's probably when the Sectars yeah. miniseries aired. Yeah, it was during those Duh. three months. <laughs> I, I I mean, not only are, are we short, like we're condensing the time frame and the the uh, story. Like as as we zoom in, time also shrinks. And so, yeah. like, that's why <laughs> riot semen combining with Jim's uh, pubic lice created the sectars. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so so sorry. Uh, we're going to um, we're going to mis- misogynist hell. Right. Yeah. So sorry, guys. Love it. Anyways, next question. Well, actually, uh, transitions pretty well into dirty thirty. Dirty 30. Well, obviously, the medicine beetle is a holistic doctor. A holistic healer. And she she is very concerned with the entire body and making Mm. sure that every part of Zach was healed. She uses the whole bison. So she 
did everything she could to make sure that he was calm and relaxed and helped him release all the tension, much like yeah. masseuses in Thailand. Well, okay. You know what I'm talking about. N- nope. Gross. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with... So, first of all, I think overall this cartoon is pretty not sexy. Like, there is no... no. Yeah. There's no romance, really. It, this is straight-up adventure time. No. Um, however, I'm going to look at General Spydrex. He mm-hmm. really he really likes whipping people. That's he's got true. A, he's got a real dominance kink. Everybody he meets, he's got to, like, uh, abuse and subjugate. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a BDSM daddy. You think he's, like, a, a sexual sadist? Basically? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think he gets off on causing pain and uh, dominating people. And um, uh, I think the biggest question is, what is his safe word? Um, that's a good question. Pineapple. Yeah. Pinsor. This world. Pinsor. Pinsor. Penisor. Actually, <laughs> I, I wanted to get into that because uh, yeah, David, uh, initially I didn't have a dirty thirty. Then you reminded me that. Uh, the general is a spider man <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, he seemed to know an awful lot about Pinsor's backstory yeah he did uh, Pinsor being the oldest member of the uh, group the general's been doing a little bit of stalking there oh okay nice. yeah nice. I, have, I have a cool question here what, what was what was the name of the first guy the first bad guy we see the one with like the multiple eyes the mandible like the uh, skulk Skulk, okay. So, my question is, what was Skulk doing hanging out with the Venom Vines? Because it seemed like he was obviously there when the good guys sort of came upon him, and he took advantage of that to shoot the map out of their hands and then run off. I think Skulk is like a sharpshooter. He likes to do things from afar. So, he, he shot the map out of their hands from afar. I think he was spying on them. I think that the Venom Vines were not directly tied to Skulk. I don't know. I feel like Skulk was uh, getting some use out of those Venom Vines. You you know what I mean? No, be explicit. He he was trying to get envenomated. He (laughs) was trying to get... uh, I'm saying that he put him up his butt. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you think Skulk has a butthole? Probably not. He probably has like a cloaca vent. Somewhere, I, I mean, that's how reptiles, the hell is that? How do how do spiders poop? I'm pretty sure they have they have a butt. They have a butt, David. What is our next section? Should we keep this show on the list? Ooh, I'm. Uh, I am. I mean, I mean, did you really expect the episodes to get better than the laser bug bandits of the acid desert? <laughs> I'm kind of with you, David, in that. I enjoyed the show. I I want to watch more of it, but I don't think there's enough meat for us on these bones. Yeah, I I honestly I would be in agreement. I think that, I think there's a lot here to kind of explore. I think that this is an interesting series for for all of us and for multiple reasons. If we went a little bit deeper, we could probably see a lot, but it's it's five episodes. It's not it's not a whole lot for us to take a look at. Maybe yeah. we could do like a like a mini series where we actually review the entire series. I don't know, but I I will be the tertiary voice on that one and say, yeah, you want I agree. 
you want to cut it. it do yeah. we just cut all the shows we like? Is that no? Is no, because that... we didn't we didn't cut. Uh... No, like I said, the the, the the categories are amazing, terrible, and amazingly terrible. Oh and yeah! Ama- oh yeah! We didn't do that this week. And we? and amazing is still a vote to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's only the middle of the road that we'll keep. I mean, I feel like it's the stuff that we think we can get more yucks out of. Basically, it's the stuff like, that's a combination. I mean, yeah this this is an easy one to say no no to essentially doing another episode just because the the amount of episodic content is so so limited. Yeah, like we're just gonna get you know a prequel to this, and it's probably gonna be something of a similar vein. Our heroes are gonna be bested by you know the villains, and then they're gonna find some sort of turnaround point, and then they're gonna move on. Yada yada yada. If we watch the last episode, it's probably in the same yep. kind of script, like flow chart, whatever you want to say. Um, it was a good. It was a good show. It did some things really well. It did some things really bad. But at the end of the day, I don't think watching another one of these is is really gonna like kind of push our podcast in a. It's not going to do well. Like our listeners, all eight of them, are going to be like, "Oh, really? Another one of these?" Derek's going to make some gem pube joke. It's actually, whatever, uh, it's each end. of us, but we downloaded it twice. Yeah, right? yeah. We are the listeners. No, well, actually, I, I managed to get one of my customers hooked on it. He keeps coming in and asking me if the, we've released another episode yet. So, Has he really? Yeah. He's a he's a construction oh, nice. guy that works uh, uh, across the street from one of my stores. So. All right, and and in that oh, well. that one uh, employee that I forced to uh, listen to it, yeah, um, she's asking to to listen to this more. So, our our two confirmed <laughs> listeners, we're doing this for you guys. Hey, hey, construction guy and worker girl. Hey, worker <laughs> girl. It's okay. It's also midnight, so I think we should wrap this one up. Yeah, well. We did it. We went the entire episode without referring to them as Warriors on the Symbians. Oh. Yes, yes. Oh, I actually, oh, God, that was a perfect Symbian joke, too. I was going to make a comment about the, uh, <laughs> the saddle that uh, is you obviously embedded into uh, Battle Beetle's back. Because it looks like Battle Beetle <laughs> actually has part of his back scooped out like a saddle forced in there. Or like he's a toy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You missed it. You missed it. All right. Oh, well. C'est la vie. There will be other episodes where we can drink other beers and make other dirty jokes. So we're cutting. So, we are definitely cutting sectars. Unfortunately, yeah. not to sectars. It sounds like we're cutting sectars. Okay. So for our next show. Yeah. Oh boy, let's do it. Tell me, tell me what is number 121. Ooh, um, I, realized I got it. last week that we got this in, um, we have this in alphabetical order. Yeah. Should we randomize that order a little bit? Because obviously nah. the high numbers are going to be. The, no. the, the numbers are random. The, the, uh, ran- yeah. the randomization yeah. is him rolling a dice. Yeah. Okay. We have Return to the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> 1975. Oh. Damn. Oh, man. Mm. 13, 13 episodes. It's not too far back, though, I guess. Wow. Nice. So it's between Matt and Derek. Yeah. Ooh. Why? Right. I've only got was, two I shows was, queued I was up. Talking, <laughs> I, was, I was talking about, like, Planet of the Apes is not my jam, but I'm looking forward to in, 
like doing another show. I really enjoyed hosting. Uh, episode six, Terror on Ice Mountain. All Ooh, right. Nice. Terror nice. on Ice Mountain. Terror on Ice Mountain. Well, Derek, the dice have finally decided to like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is, for those of you at home, this is the first show that Derek has been chosen for by the dice. That's true. We, Every other, the, you, you've done it one time before you did the Silverhawks episode, but that was one that you yes. maliciously and with uh, intent and forethought uh, ripped yeah. from Mike's grasp this as is, he was screaming for you to take I, it away I, from him. I, I don't think that's, yeah. that's how it went down. Uh, when you when you but, did Silverhawks, uh, it, was explain a, it, like that. it was really against the will of the gods. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I think the dice gods punished you. The, the math rocks were not in your favor until now. And, it, rocks. and you are fated to do Return to the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I've never heard Dice referred to as math. You guys gotta watch. Now, you guys gotta watch more D and D live streams. <laughs> I am now gonna refer to them as that from here on forward. <laughs> All right. So, but that's up in the queue. But next week on Amazingly Terrible, we will be reviewing Cops. The case of the C O P S, not cops. Yes, acronym cops. Sorry, C O P S. And that will be summarized by yours truly. So next, yes, get next ready for a lot of mouth noises and hemming and hawing and ums. And, wait, where was I? I <laughs> was thinking uh, that the deep, sultry tones of your voice, vibrating deep in my heart, would uh, lull me into a sense of complacency and sleep. I think that's called a heart attack. Oh, my God. All right. Buddy. That's enough, folks. <laughs> it is midnight. We have rolled all the dice, talked all the things, told all the dirty jokes. This is Derek. I'm out. I'll catch you guys on the flip side. I continue to be Matthias P. Matheson, paranormal investigator. Out. Oh, we're using our fake names? This... No, that's my real name. This has been Jack Mars. Out. <laughs> I think the only fake name I've really had was Zathras. So. Yeah, Zathras. I have been Zathras. The sassy alien. The sassiest. <laughs> <laughs> Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marks. Send your emails to monotonouslyterrific at amazinglyterrible.com. Music by Josh Woodward. I was that young sector. That was a long time ago, Pinsor.